Hey friends, Marthame here, the host of AIJ Cast. Our regularly scheduled episodes will resume next week with our guest Sally Ann McKenzie, a performance artist and ordained pastor. This week we wanted to share an episode from one of our favorite podcasts with you. It also happens to be a podcast that I produce by the Ministry Collaborative. You can find out more about them online at ministrycollaborative.org. One quick note before we get to them, on Sunday, July 19th, I will be preaching a dialogue sermon at Park Avenue Baptist Church. Worship begins streaming at 10 a.m.-ish Atlanta time, and you can find out more information on our website, AIJCast.com. And now, without further ado, or maybe a tiny bit of ado, here's an episode from the Ministry Collaborative podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Ramsey, Executive Director of the Ministry Collaborative. And I'm Jennifer Watley-Maxell the program curator for the Ministry Collaborative. Obviously, we are living in a time of seismic shifts. And these podcasts are often recorded ahead of time. These recordings took place before the most recent painful and poignant examples of racial injustice in our society. The Ministry Collaborative seeks to promote and nurture deep and searching conversations about God's activity in the world. And our place in it. And so with all that, we commend this podcast to you. Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. I'm Adam Mixon, content curator. I'm Adam Borneman, program director. I'm Jennifer Maxell, program curator. And I'm Mark Ramsey, executive director of the Ministry Collaborative. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation, the Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations. Committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Every day, we are inspired by ministry leaders from across the country who are exploring possibilities. Learning from broad perspectives. Taking risks. And who are eager to join candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. This is Adam Mixon. I'm the content curator for the Ministry Collaborative, and I'm here with my dear friend and colleague, Katie Nakamura-Ringers, who is an Episcopal priest. We met in a cohort in Birmingham. We're about halfway through that cohort, and I found her to be one of the most fascinating people. I thought it would be great for her to come and spend some time talking with us. Katie, uh, will you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Adam. So I'm Katie Nakamura-Ringers. I'm an Episcopal priest. I actually grew up in Birmingham, um, just down the road from where my church plant, the Abbey, is located. I am Japanese-American, which is pretty unusual in Birmingham, Alabama. And to make it even more weird, I grew up in this really high church, incense, bells, chanting, Anglo-Catholic parish in an urban uh, center of the city. When I was ordained, they first shipped me off to this little uh, rural town called Fayette, Alabama. That was really wonderful. I've served one of the wealthiest parishes in Birmingham as well. And then I was asked to do a church plant here in Avondale, which is a, um, Adam, you know this, a transitioning neighborhood, but it hadn't quite transitioned. Mm Mm-hmm. You are on the front edge of that, yes. I'm on the edge, and you're on the other edge. (laughs) Across the tracks, literally. (laughs) Exactly. Tell me just a little bit about your experience within the Episcopal Church as a Japanese-American woman and, and doing a church plant in that context and kind of an urban church plant. It's kind of hard to do high church in that environment. So tell me a little bit about that. 
So I've been pondering something for the last four or five months that had never occurred to me before, which is that the Episcopal Church, of course, is descended from the Anglican Church, so the Church of England. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about being Anglican, Mm. there's something about that word. It doesn't offend me, but it's not inclusive of me. Mm. And it's not inclusive of our Asian American members or our mm-hmm. folks of African descent, mm. Latino members. And so there's this piece of being Episcopalian that's actually quite ethnocentric. Mm. Typically, yeah, folks of, of European descent, right? White people. Yeah. yeah. And, and you see that um, when we like to hang the pictures of our past rectors in black and white on the walls. And mm. it's primarily white men. And that's who I grew up with in my church at home, St. Andrews, mm. white male priests. Mm. Loved them. I loved them. Mm. Um, But I couldn't see myself being one of them. Wow. Yeah. How did that happen then? How did you discern your call and Mm -hmm. how did you come to this place? Yeah. um, I mean, I went to seminary. I went to seminary because I really wanted a graduate degree in religious studies. Mm. And if you're interested at all in God and the Episcopal Church, they tell you go to seminary. Mm. So I did, but I didn't see myself as a pastor necessarily. I always thought, well, I'll go back and do a PhD in New Testament or something. Mm -hmm. And then Bishop Parsley, nine years ago, placed me in this little parish in Fayette, Mm. 40 people strong on a Sunday, real small, incredibly loving. Mm. You know, there were some well-resourced people and there were some blue-collar people. And I found that tending these folks and being in relationship with them, going to their houses, burying their pets, Mm. it made me feel connected to God Mm. and connected to the kingdom in a way that I'm not sure for me going back and doing more studying would have done. Yeah. And then there's the move from Fayette to the Abbey in Avondale. Yeah. By Mm. way of St. Luke's Mm. and Mountain Brook. Mm. In creating the Abbey, I was returning to the neighborhood I was born in. Okay. I had a feeling of who lives in this neighborhood, what kind of people, the diversity. We wanted a neighborhood that had the diversity of the kingdom, where it really felt like the Holy Spirit was moving, Mm. and we could be part of that. I I think that there was some hope amongst our diocesan leadership Mm. that Avondale was going to be full of young upwardly moving professionals, hipsters. Gentrification. Yeah, gentrified people. Mm. Um, and there, there's a lot of those. Mm. And there's come even more in the last six years. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of the old folks are still there too. Mm. And as you know, the Jimmy Hale mission is right down the street, yes. about a mile away. Yeah. Young men and older men in uh, residential rehab. I'm looking right now out the back window, and there's some of our folks that are in homelessness who live in Avondale Park and come to the Abbey every day for breakfast. Mm. Heroin addicts and the abandoned houses yeah. right across from you, Adam, the projects. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot more diversity than just young hipster professionals who like good coffee. Wow. So as you know, we started off, um, we opened an Episcopal coffee shop, an Episcopal church. Uh-huh worshiping community on Sundays, would sell coffee by day. And I think we we had a choice to make. I think we could have made the choice to be the hipster coffee shop. Mm. We had some employees that could have helped us do that. Uh And yet being on the edge of the tracks, Mm -hmm. on the south side of the railroad tracks, Mm -hmm. we got some of the people that uh, couldn't pay for their own coffee. 
some of the people that wouldn't have known how to behave mm. in a upwardly moving young professional coffee shop anyway. Mm. And we got to make a choice about what would Jesus do in this context? Wow. Who would Jesus serve? Who would Jesus be with? And it wasn't me that made the decision. It was our employees. It was our baristas who, who were young adults. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know what Jesus would do? Jesus would serve these people, mm. the ones that are actually in our building and at our doorstep. That's interesting. So it sounds to me like your mm-hmm. context shaped your identity. Realizing your context caused an adjustment in how you would serve that community. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting and really scary, too, because large institutions have really firm ideas about what they want to do in particular places. And especially when they're investing resource there. How did you manage that when what was was not really materializing the way that it was imagined. How how did you navigate that space? Yeah. And going back to the context dictating the ministry, I think that's the hope. Mm. So our building is on the wrong side of 41st Street South. It's on the side that people are a little more afraid to come to. It's a little bit more crime. We've had rocks thrown through our window Mm. two or three times since we've been here had people swinging hammers and bike chains out on the back patio. I feel like this location saved the ministry. Wow. If we'd been further up the street, we could have become the hipster coffee shop. And we would have lived into every expectation that our bishop and our diocesan leadership had of us. And yet I'm not sure that we would be representing the kingdom. And I'm not sure we'd be following Jesus. Yeah. And I wouldn't have a meeting space <laughs> because I use the Abbey regularly to meet folks out in the community. Right. I probably I wouldn't have had a Macedonia cohort. But yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting the way we've kind of landed in similar place. Uh, you know, Zion Spring is all of what, a quarter of a mile, maybe a half a mile from where you are coming north of the railroad tracks. Um yeah, we don't get a lot of traffic unless they're on bicycles riding through the projects uh, from the other side. Right. I was in a conference several years ago. Willie Jennings actually convicted me really bad because I was really convicted as I looked around my community. I thought I knew my community. I'm in the middle of the projects. I'm thinking it's 97% African-American. Most everybody is living off of some type of subsidy or entitlement these are my folks, I understand them. And then uh, Dr. Jennings challenged me to look at who I wasn't seeing. And there was a part of me that was really hostile toward those of you who had moved south of the railroad tracks. So I intentionally would come out of the church and not even turn that way. I wouldn't even look to the right because I'm like, oh, all right, he's daggone gentrifiers or whatever. I ended up... uh, as a director from that conference, taking a walk, just walking from the north side of the street to the south side of the street. And I ended up at the Abbey and I ended up grabbing some coffee and sitting there and looking at the different way that you all were relating to that community. And I saw some of everybody come through there. I saw a lot of familiar faces that I know from the kind of clergy community. And I found it just tremendously remarkable. And it made me realize again that we've got resources to share with one another. We've got access that we can share because I'm not 
probably as rooted as you are, Katie, in any particular tradition, it was easy for me to see where we had so much in common and how that has kind of blossomed into us having to, in some ways, dream of ways where we can operate together as the body. Yeah, I think you recommended my favorite book right now, right? Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. Look at there. Only Episcopalian probably to ever read that book. That's one of the things that, again, I find amazing. Um, With your experience, there's a sensitivity and there's a willingness to be opened that sometimes is not demanded by those who sit in that dominant culture. Well, you know, I mean, Episcopalians are used to being the dominant culture. In some ways, that's the symbol of the Episcopal Church is having the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. and being the church of the majority of the American presidents. It's something that was brought over, you know, Mm -hmm. as people were, were colonizing and settling the United States and some from Scotland. It's the church of the upper class and of big buildings and beautiful stained glass windows and a liturgy that's from the Book of Common Prayer and don't dare trespass on it. Mm. If we want to reflect the kingdom of God in the Episcopal Church, and I love the church, Mm. I want Episcopalians to reflect the kingdom, Mm. but we're going to have to let go of some of that power and privilege because we don't have all the answers. I mean, even look at this coronavirus thing. Mm -hmm. The Episcopal Church is, I don't know if I'd say we're suffering but we're wrestling with these issues of not being able to be in buildings mm-hmm. and not being able to have Eucharist because those are the things that, are that central define to the us. Worship, yeah. And so the Abbey's different because we've been in this rented coffee shop space. And in fact, the, the coronavirus is the great equalizer. Yeah. And that yeah. our lease is about to end. Mm-hmm. And so there were people in our church saying, oh no, is the community going to end? Is the Abbey done for? Because you've got to find another space. All of a sudden, nobody has a space. Mm. And so this idea of potentially sharing space later in the fall when things open back up, Mm. it's suddenly not as novel anymore. Uh, You said something powerful about how the Episcopal Church kind of sits as this dominant force or whatever. And who you are ethnically, where you sit geographically, who you serve is in some ways way outside the bounds. Is that fulfilling? Is it unsettling? How how does that make you feel that one of these kids is doing his own thing? (laughs) You know, it was discouraging for a long time. I've always been somebody, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And hopefully whatever I want to do is what God wants me to do. Not always. You said forgiveness, not permission. Right. Forgiveness, not permission. (laughs) But I'm not always self-aware enough to know that what I am doing doesn't fit in uh, with what everybody else is doing. Mm. And it was discouraging along the way as the Abbey was, was being planted and the community was being called to start to realize that it wasn't always perceived as legitimate church that the people who come here are not always considered to be legitimate members of society. People. To be people, right? Mm. They're people who can be served or can be offered charity, but not who can be counted in the Sunday register necessarily. Mm. And I've always, I've, you know, perceived these folks as part of my community. Mm. Some I would even say as, as friends, wow. right? Or as close as you can get to a friend yeah. as a pastor with a, a parishioner in your church. Yeah. And yet I think you and I, 
Adam had this capacity to be prophetic mm. and to help introduce some of these folks in Avondale, especially the people who can't leave Avondale yeah. to go home or to go to any of these hipster restaurants to help the world understand them as human beings. Yeah, I think that is part of our shared journey. Mm-hmm. I think one of my great gospel calls north of the tracks is to remind people who have been so marginalized, so displaced, so broken, so cut off, that they bear the image of the divine. I think that poverty breeds a lot of things in us, and one of the things that we witness in an environment like we have there in the projects is where there's crime and drug abuse and all the violence. That doesn't happen accidentally. Crime and drug abuse and violence are results of hopelessness. And I'm dealing largely with people who don't realize that they bear a divine image. Mm -hmm. And when you don't know that, then you're not only self-destructive, you're destructive to those who are around you. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a social thing, you know, while some people will mark us as activists. It really is a gospel issue of restoring. And who knew that by serving somebody a cup of coffee, you could be restoring in them this image. Right. Well, I remember when one of our conversations about space sharing, I brought a little group over to Zion Springs Baptist. And Mm. one of the interesting things to be able to say to my group that went over was, you know, this church probably has more in common with us than does our big cathedral downtown. Yep. Different denomination, Mm -hmm. different looking people, but Mm -hmm. we share something that we don't share with Mm -hmm. all the other Episcopal churches. Mm -hmm. And then we asked you, how safe do you think this space is going to be, mm. especially in the af- late afternoon? Mm. And you said, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, people across the street in the projects, they, they're, they're people too. Mm-hmm. And they've got the same worries and the same fears as anybody. Yeah. And sadly, again, some of the trouble that comes to that community is people passing through. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where you see people driving and they'll throw trash out of a window. They typically don't do that in front of their own house. Right. So a lot of what we get is that passing through, and it's sad. But I'm looking forward to the fall, perhaps after COVID has subsided, if that is to happen, the opportunity for us to continue to share on this journey. I appreciate you so much, Katie. Your graciousness and your sense of humor in ridiculous situations is a bright light. And I'm glad that how many years, nine years ago? Yeah, I think it was... Six years ago. Was it six? I'm glad that you moved up the street from us. And and I look forward to us, um, yeah, being in that space together for Thank a, you. You rock it, Adam. I have one more thing I want you to share with us um, before you go. I know that as the Abbey kind of discerns the future, I know that you've accepted another position within your denomination. You want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah. So I'm the staff officer for church planting within the Episcopal Church. Mm. One thing that we're um, noticing is that folks who have some experience building community with people on the margins are now being looked at as leaders in the field of building community in any context. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm not sure if that's because it's, it's just more challenging on the margin or if there's specific practices mm. involved in doing that work that actually can be translated into other contexts. Mm. And so now I am full time doing that work mm. and am paid for it. And my family is really happy, doesn't have to move. Outstanding. And I can continue being part of this community here at the Abbey because this is where I would choose to worship no matter what. Well, I am glad that they made that decision to put you in that position, your influence is growing. And I can't think of anybody better than to be kind of at the forefront of that type of work. So with that, Katie, thank you for setting aside time on this morning to come share with us. And uh, I got to get you back so you can tell us in a year from now what's going on in the Episcopal Church. We'll look forward to episode two. Yes, gladly. I'll ask you the questions. <laughs> Uh-oh. You don't want to do that. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. Our producer is Marthame Sanders. To find out more about us and our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 